I am not Pastor Nathan. I'm about seven inches too short, so I apologize to those in the back row. Uh, my name is Alex Fleming. I'm the youth pastor here at Brian, and it's my privilege to be able to study God's Word with you on this Christmas Eve morning. Uh, and so before we get started, though, I do want to dismiss our children for Children's Church at ages 4th through 1st grade. You can follow the aldermans out the north door. So if you've been with us the past uh, couple of weeks, we have been studying through the first part of the book of Luke, and I think it's, it's obviously a really appropriate time of year to be covering uh, that part of Scripture, just as it intersects with the, uh, the time of year that we're celebrating Christmas. And uh, one, one thing that I, I particularly love about the first couple of chapters of Luke is how uh, character-driven they are. Um, that's true of, of a lot of times when you have prose, but uh, I think particularly Luke, um, the first couple of chapters of Luke, you really get to dial in on these characters and, and almost get to be a part of, of what they're, they're going through. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we looked at a guy named Zechariah, and he's the father of John the Baptist, and his encounter with an angel and uh, the doubt that he had and just everything that then led up to, to the birth of this baby. And uh, if you were here last week, we, uh, we got to meet Mary, like we literally got to meet Mary up on stage and Elizabeth a little bit as well and kind of, again, delve into their characters and what they were dealing with uh, and just all of the things that surround this incredible story. And I think that there's something just compelling about those type of characters. If you look at those characters, there's, there's nothing particularly special or extraordinary about them. Um, and I think that we really relate to stories when the antagonist is uh, an ordinary run-of-the-mill character. Uh, those of you who know me know that I'm, uh, I'm a pretty big Lord of the Rings nerd, and I don't, I don't consider any sermon complete without at least one Lord of the Ring reference as long... even. I don't care how far you have to stretch it. Uh, I think that this one particularly, though, uh, it fits well. You look at that story. It's a classic story. Um, but think of the true protagonists in that story. Is it um, the powerful 3,000-year-old wizard? Uh, is it one of the many, many immortal elves that have been around for thousands of years? Is it this valiant, noble, long-awaited uh, king of the men? No. The protagonists, the true movers and shakers in that story, the ones that make the biggest difference are a group of diminutive hobbits whose only special powers are being so short, naive, and seemingly insignificant that they escape the notice of all the important people in the world. But that's what makes that story so compelling, is I think that we look at characters like that, and there, there are many characters like that in literature, but we look at those and, and we can't help as we read to think, that could be me. Like, if, if put in the right circumstances, like, apparently I'm capable of incredible things as well, because I look at these characters and there's, there's not that much that separates me from them other than the circumstances that surround me. We relate to them. We're so much more capable of relating to the hobbit than we are um, the powerful king or the wise wizard. And here's the reality, though. J.R.R. Tolkien is not the original author of that story, of that type of story. God invented that story. 
Scripture is packed, jam-packed full of characters that are completely ordinary, that God uses in incredible, extraordinary ways. And today we're going to study through an account, the account of Jesus' birth, which um, it contains a bunch of characters that are seemingly ordinary. There's so much to this story. You could spend weeks on Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and we're going we're gonna to cover it today. And so I really want us to dial in on these characters, the characters that we meet along the way and see um, that they, at, at first glance, they all scream ordinary. They all, you look at them and, and there's nothing particularly special about them at face value. But we're going to look and, and see that God uses them in incredible ways. And so before we, we take a look into God's word, I do want to pray for us and ask for his guidance in this time this morning. And so Heavenly Father, I do thank you for sending your son uh, as we celebrate that um, this week and even this day. Uh, and I, I pray as we read the account of, of his birth and, um, and everything that surrounds that, that you might guide us, that you might inspire us, that you might bring us joy, Lord, and that you might convict us to action. And so I invite you into this time and ask for your presence in it. Lord, and it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So, like I said, we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20, and I'm the type of guy that likes the big picture. I like, if I'm going to dial in on something, I like to have a good um, view of of everything. And so I do want to read through these 20 verses before we get started, before we we go in. So I'll do my best to channel my inner Linus, um, but I do want to just read through this, and then we'll, we'll go back and take a look at our characters. So in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in the manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel uh, said to them, "'Do not be afraid.'" I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what, they had, uh, what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned 
glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So again, that, there's a lot there. It's an incredible story. But sometimes it's, just, it's so helpful to go and just look at the players in the story. And so we start off with, with probably the, uh, the biggest enigma of, of the characters in Joseph. It says, so Joseph went up to the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, the, uh, in Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. So obviously, if we were to take just what we have here and say, well, what do we know about Joseph? Uh, the answer would be not much. And even, even if you go and you dig around the rest of the Gospels and try and figure out what you can about Joseph, the, the information about him uh, is, is pretty limited. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph, the husband of Mary. But the most important piece of information uh, that we can have about him probably is contained right here in this passage, that um, Joseph is a descendant of the line of David. He belonged to the house and line of David. But if we're talking about what makes this guy special, that's, that's about it at, at face value from what we know about him. Other than being the distant descendant of a long defunct royal line, there was nothing particularly special about this Joseph guy. At the end of the day, he's probably perhaps the original average Joe. <laughs> Again, we, we don't know a whole lot leading up to this event. And we don't know a whole lot after it either. We know, obviously, he was present at Jesus' birth. Um, we can figure out he was present during part of Jesus' childhood. And from what, from what we can discover, he wasn't present during Jesus' ministry later in his life. But here's the truth about this man. However mysterious he is to us, however average or ordinary he seems to be at face value, he was chosen to care for, to protect, and to provide for the Son of God as an adopted father. And that's an incredible task. That's an extraordinary task. And again, given to an ordinary man. Now, the next character we see in this account is a character we've already met, um, but I do, I do still want to address her uh, character briefly. And it says, he, being Joseph, went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, obviously, Mary, at least at this point in the story, has been part of something pretty extraordinary for about nine months. Um, she had this encounter with an angel, and she showed great faith in that encounter, which gave her the strength and the ability um, to go through everything that she's gone through and everything she will go through as the mother of Jesus. But if you take that away, if you just look at Mary before the angel meets her, her story is probably pretty similar to Joseph's. Um, she's probably about your, your everyday young Jewish gal. As we've met, again, as we've witnessed, Mary had um, the gift of amazing faith. But in, in the eyes of the world, prior to being mother of Christ, she was just another face in the crowd. She was just another face in a, a very crowded city. But again, we know the extraordinary way that God used her. And the next, of course, we, we come to the baby. We come to Jesus Christ himself. And while, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son, 
She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And now, we, we know, like, we know there is nothing ordinary about Jesus Christ. But the way that he came into the world is about as ordinary as it gets. Born to ordinary parents in an ordinary town and the most ordinary of buildings. But God has a purpose for that. There's a reason why Jesus wasn't born to uh, rich, powerful parents in some palace or mansion somewhere. There's a reason for that. It's because Jesus Christ came to the world to identify with us. He came into the world to identify with us. Again, the common man. How better to relate to the common man than to enter the world in the most common of ways? And again, yes, we we know the miraculous things that surrounded the birth of Christ that have been happening for the past nine months. But in the moment, to the naked eye, this was just another baby. And of course, we, uh, we know that Jesus' life after this was anything but common, anything but ordinary. But, but Jesus' common birth even follows him into his ministry. This, this reputation of having a common birth, being born to common parents, can, uh, follows him into his ministry. If you look in Matthew 13, Jesus uh, is teaching, and he comes to his hometown, starting in verse 54. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching to the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary, and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all of his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Those from Jesus' own hometown can't see past the fact, can't see past his common birth. They say, isn't this the son of the carpenter? And here's the son of God being judged in an unreliable source by those he grew up with due to his common station at birth. So yeah, I'd even argue that within this story, there's an element of ordinary to the Messiah, at least in the way that he came into the world. But that is by design, and that is with a purpose. And then, of course, we come to the shepherds, the the most fleshed-out characters in this particular account. And And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So I might call the shepherds the hobbits of this story. Uh, In their world, they were considered insignificant, barely worth notice, barely a part of society, and their opinions mattered very little. They had no education, they had little skill in things that mattered, and they were perhaps the last people that anyone would expect to be part of anything significant. James Edwards, in his commentary on Luke, has this description of the shepherds. He says, Nomadic shepherds who were separated from human communities and culture for long periods of time were inevitably subjected to, to suspicion and scorn. Because they could prey on lonely travelers, they were often suspected of practicing the craft of the robbers. Their prolonged absence and ill repute disqualified them from being legal witnesses. Again, these would be the last people that anyone would think be part of anything important, anything extraordinary. All in all, 
They were exactly the type of people that we see God has used time and time again to accomplish amazing things. But I I think there's also an element of, of relatability to these characters for us. We look at them and and we see something within that that we can relate to. Like us sometimes, I'm sure they felt like just faces in the crowd. I'm sure they felt incapable of making an insignificant or a significant impact on the world. At the end of the day, I'm sure they were at a point where they they could just go about, mind their business, keep their head down and get through the day. That was good enough. They didn't have the typical qualities of a visionary or a leader. It's probably safe to assume, uh, being on the margins of society, that social skills weren't something that they excelled in. The idea of speaking to a crowd may have been crippling. But at the end of the day, we look at that. We look at the circumstances that surround them, their background, opinions of them. Um, And I think there's something about the shepherds that we can relate to on a personal level, which makes what happens next all the more exciting. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angels are just about the only characters in this story that no argument can be made for being ordinary. You just can't do it. They are 100% entirely extraordinary. But that tends to be how God operates. He provides some sort of catalyst, something to get events moving. And in this case, what what a catalyst. What a catalyst. They're just out there minding their own business, keeping watch, trying to make sure there's no funny business happening. And then, boom, angel of the Lord. By the way, also... The glory of the Lord is present. This is the same language uh, that, that Luke uses in this account. Is the same language that he uses in Acts 9 when he describes the blinding light that Saul encounters on the road to Damascus in referencing the glory of the Lord. So, what a catalyst. It's an experience that one, I, I feel like, couldn't help but coming away from changed. Uh, and it's understandably terrifying. But the angels are on a mission to bring news of great joy. And again, it's the lowly, ordinary shepherd that God has chosen to be the first to receive this good news. And there's this implied instruction from the angels to go and bear witness. They say, this, this has happened. This is how you can see that this has happened. And there's this implied instruction to go and see. And again, this is especially significant because... As we've, as, as we've discovered, shepherds were not legally authorized to bear witness, and they were the ones that God chose to be his first witness. This is God saying, your limitations can't limit me, and you can't screw up my plans. And so, 
like I said, there's this implied call to go and see. And they go and see. When the angels had left them and had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. So they go, they see, they believe, and they share. Now, obviously, Jesus' work isn't complete as he lays in the manger. Everything hasn't been explained yet. Nobody knows quite what to expect. In fact, a lot of the expectations are still yet to be shattered about the Messiah. But the shepherds still have vital information that nobody knows yet. And they are the first to bear witness. The shepherds are are a type of precursor or forerunner to those who will come come after, giving the the good news of Christ. And sometimes I'm a bit disappointed that we don't, like, they go off and that's it. What, what happened with them? How were they changed? What was the result of their testimony? Did they ever get the opportunity to find out more? And th- these are things that, that we likely won't find out this side of heaven. And it's one of those things that you trust in God's plan and purpose in. But nonetheless, God used these shepherds to accomplish something extraordinary. They got the privilege of being the first to tell those the good news of the the Messiah who had come. They provided an encouragement to the new mother of Christ and and even caused her to to wonder, what's next? Like, I've been told about this. I've been told this is going to be the Son of of God. But what's going to come next? And they continue as an example to us today, preserved in God's word. And so if, if we can learn anything from the narrative of Scripture, it's that extraordinary things tend to happen uh, when God calls people to drop what they're doing and follow his directive. We've seen it here to the shepherds. They're out minding their own business, keeping watch, and they have this encounter, this angelic encounter, this catalyst. And they go. And they see, again, they believe and they share. And it's incredible. It's extraordinary. And that's not the first time that this has happened in the Bible. And it's not the last time that it's going to happen. Look at the story of Abram in Genesis 12. Um, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Here's a directive from God. Go, follow, obey. And what did Abram do? Three verses later, so Abram went, as the Lord had told him. And if you read the next several chapters of Genesis, you see of the incredible impact that Abram had, the extraordinary events that surrounded him, and the fact that they're still talking about Abraham in the New Testament. And it all started with receiving a call to drop everything and go. In Exodus, God calls Moses to stop shepherding his father-in-law's sheep and go to Egypt. Verse 10 uh, of Genesis 3. So now go, 
I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. And about a chapter and a half of back and forth between Moses and God. So Moses took his wife and sons, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. If you read the account of Moses, I, I would categorize the events that surrounded him and the things that he accomplished for God's kingdom as extraordinary. Go a little bit further down the road here. Jesus himself uh, calling his disciples in, in, um, in Matthew. Says, as, Jesus walk, uh, as Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers. Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. And what did they do? At once, there's not even any verses in between here, at once they left their nets and followed him. And again, the events that surround them, the way that God used them is extraordinary. Are we getting the picture here? The obvious common thread here is God's call in an obedient response, followed by incredible, extraordinary work for God. The other common threads here are that each of these characters, shepherds, Abram, Moses, Peter, and Andrew, were all seemingly ordinary people prior to God's call. In fact, a lot of them had things, extra, additional challenges than your average person. The shepherds were despised. They weren't allowed to even bear witness. Their, their word wasn't, wasn't taken as being reliable. Moses dealt with a, a crippling fear of inadequacy seen by, again, the chapter and a half between the God's call and going back and forth with God until finally he goes. And it doesn't go away then. He deals with this crippling feeling of inadequacy. Peter and Andrew, they were just fishermen. They, they lacked education. And they're the people that God chose to start his church. God uses, used each and every one of these characters to accomplish extraordinary things for his kingdom. So, so then how does this relate to us? How, how do we bring that back to us? How do we follow the example of these unexpected servants? Well, just like Abram and Moses and the disciples were given a directive to go or to follow Jesus instructed his church to go. In Matthew 28, when speaking to the seed of his church, that being his disciples, he gives the directive, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Again, this call to go applies to us as well. This is the seed of his church, and we are the result of that as the church of God. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey. And it can be easy to look at that and say, I don't have the qualities needed to do that, to accomplish that, to be one of the forerunners of that. I don't have what it takes I don't have time. I'm afraid. I can barely have a conversation with 10 people, let alone 100 people. 
How, how could I possibly use, be used by God? But again, when, when you look at all of these characters, the shepherds, Mary, Joseph, Abram, Moses, the disciples, all of them that we've covered today with the exception of Jesus, you see that it wasn't something internal that caused them to be a part of extraordinary events. It wasn't something that God saw and says, oh, this one's special. He's got something that, that others don't. No, God specifically chose ordinary people. And it was his work in them that accomplished incredible things. And just like we identify with those unexpected heroes in fiction, the hobbits, if you will, um, we should identify with these real-life characters, these real-life heroes of faith, you might call them. The unexpected ones, like Joseph, Mary, and the shepherds. And it should cause us to think that we are capable with God, just like they, they, they weren't capable on their own, but they were capable with God to accomplish extraordinary things for the kingdom of God. And again, God has shown time and time and time again, just read through this, that that, in fact, is the type of person that God prefers to use. Because at the end of the day, you can look at those people and say, it was God that did this. It is God that gets the glory. And just like he had a task in mind for each of these characters, he has a task for us as well. And if you feel inadequate, if you feel incapable, that's okay. That might just mean God has something big in store for you. And I just think that, again, uh, this story has so much in it, but it is such an encouragement to, to look in at these characters, these everyday characters, and, and just and recognize that they were everyday. They were ordinary. And see the incredible way that God used them. I know I'm encouraged, uh, and I hope you're encouraged, that we do have that directive to, to go tell the good news that Christ has come. So I'd like to invite the worship team up as we close this morning um, as I pray for us. So God, again, we do thank you that you saw fit to identify with us by sending your son. Um, he took on flesh that, that he dealt with the everyday things that we did. He had an ordinary birth, Lord, but had an extraordinary life in that he accomplished salvation of our souls. So I pray as we continue celebrating this, this Christmas season, this Christmas day, that, that we would be encouraged by your amazing, tremendous love, Lord, and that would cause thankfulness to overflow from our hearts. Lord, and it is in Christ's name that we pray.